reading from 2 Corinthians. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I will not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think of more, more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to do it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not in the least inferior to the super-apostles, even though I am nothing. The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles, were done among you with great perseverance. How are you inferior to the other churches, except that I was never a burden on you? Forgive me this wrong. Now I am ready to visit you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? The word of the Lord. So we are nearing the end of our journey through 2 Corinthians in this series that we've called A Church Alive. Uh, We have one more message in the series next week. We'll cover uh, chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians and uh, wrap up that series. Uh, The last uh, weekend in July, uh, we have a group of folks that are going uh, to uh, camping. The all-church campout's happening. I know there's still space to sign up for that if you'd like, Uh, but if you're here with us back at home for our one church worship service that Sunday, uh, Jonathan will be preaching uh, a standalone message, and then you'll be hearing more about this, but we're looking forward to a series in August uh, where we touch on or at least connect with uh, movies that have theological meaning, and uh, Pastor Greg will be preaching the first uh, sermon in that series, and then various people will be preaching uh, those messages in August uh, before we start a fall fall sermon series uh, the weekend after Labor Day. But as we head home in this series, in 2 Corinthians, and we talk about what it means to be a church that is made alive by Christ, today we look at the fact that a church alive is made perfect in weakness. Now, we, we stop and we just kind of pause and you say, in weakness rather than strength? Yes. You see, here Paul presents the countercultural nature of the way of Jesus. And it is very akin to Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God that we find in the Gospels, particularly in Matthew and in Luke. You see, the way of Jesus is not one of grasping on to power and authority and compla- uh, claiming superiority over. Rather, the way of Jesus that Paul echoes here in 2 Corinthians 12 is a way of weakness in order to experience God's strength and power. Many have called this the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. 
That God inverts the, the powers and the principalities and the kind of the, the way of the world to show a different pathway when he's talking about the kingdom of God and how we experience the presence of Jesus. For instance, think about Matthew's gospel. In Matthew's gospel, and in chapter 5, we hear the, the amazing teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And there, Jesus starts that teaching by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We hear that first phrase, blessed are the poor in spirit, and you're like, what? Come on, Jesus. You want me to be just kind of be poor in, in spirit? You want me to kind of wallow in weakness? Not in order to stay there, but in order to claim and realize that we are all weak in and through our own flesh, that we need God's empowerment. And the way to experience God's power and his strength is through recognizing our own weakness. You see, unless we do that, unless we recognize our weakness before God, uh, before the nature of temptation, we're facing pain and suffering, loss and difficulty, unless we come to grips with that weakness in and of ourselves, we will not avail ourselves of the strength and the empowerment that God wants to give. You see, we all need to be strengthened by the foundation that only Christ can give. It's the only real, true foundation in life. But we often seek to find our own pathways and seek to pretend like we have things together and we don't need Jesus at the very depth of who we are. But what Paul tells us here is even as one who could claim the kind of authority of a super apostle, one who had seen and witnessed Jesus for Paul that was on the road to Damascus, even in the midst of his amazing spiritual experiences, even in the midst of all the churches he had helped start, Paul was always aware of the fact that he was weak, that he was vulnerable, and that he needed God's help every step of the way. You see, in the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God, the very challenges that could, face, that could cause us to feel weak and vulnerable are the very pathways or avenues through which we are more open to God's grace and empowerment. And that is what Paul wants to tell the church at Corinth and the wider church now through this letter in this part of 2 Corinthians. What we see here is that we are made perfect in weakness when we share about visions and revelations from the Lord. We're actually made perfect in weakness when we talk about the experiences of God we have had. And we're made perfect in weakness when we share about our weaknesses so that God's power can be seen in and through us. You see, when we share our God stories, we are encouraged. But often we're most encouraged by those God stories that we hear from one another when we are wondering where God is at and at work in our own life. You see, on a Sunday morning or another time in a growth group or any other one of our gatherings, I might walk into that space and place wondering what God is up to. I might be in a place of discouragement or doubt. And then I hear what God is doing in your life. And I'm, all of a sudden, I'm encouraged and I'm lifted up. For instance, I've got a guys group that meets here at 6.30 on Tuesday mornings in the prayer room every week. I am not a morning person. I do not really like to get up early. Some of you know I'm more of a night owl kind of person. But I can tell you that every time I come and every time I sit down with those group of guys, I leave encouraged. And over the last eight years that the group has met, there's never really been one time I can say where I left feeling like I 
wished I hadn't gotten up that early that morning. In other words, I always walk away from that time encouraged and lifted up. And in through our check-in time, I hear God's stories. I hear what God is doing in the lives of my friends. And all of a sudden, if I walked in kind of wondering what God's up to or just a little trepidatious about my week and what I'm facing ahead, I all of a sudden have a new and encouraged boldness because of what they've shared. And I know that that can happen in a reciprocal way. That's why our growth groups and points of community and connection are so important. Because when we are in places of weakness, and yet we hear about visions and revelations, a.k.a. ways that God showed up in the lives of one another, we're all of a sudden lifted up. We're encouraged. We feel new boldness and strength to continue on. Well, if Paul's adversaries falsely claimed to have received their teaching directly from God through visions and revelations, Paul could claim that this was truly true in his case. But he never mentions his own spiritual experiences to show kind of a a spiritual superiority over them. And now, when he does share his own experiences, and he does it in a really interesting way, he actually does it on the way to sharing his own weakness. You see, Paul takes delight in his weakness because he knows that is the way he can experience the fullness of God's grace. Such experiences of God, when someone encountered a vision or revelation of God, such as Paul did on the road to Damascus, were seen as signs of God's special favor in the ancient world. And this was true in in the Jewish faith and and, in the faith of, of worship of Yahweh. When people had these kinds of experiences, it was thought that God had shown favor on those people. But if you remember with Paul, it was rather unique. Because Paul had persecuted the church of Jesus. He was on his way to Damascus with letters in hand that basically gave him the authority to arrest followers of Jesus. When when God revealed himself to Paul, He did it in such a way to show, you know, this is my identified person who's going to go and witness to the Gentiles. But if you remember, when when Ananias questioned, uh, when when he questioned God about going and connecting with Paul and, and saying, hey, this guy persecuted the church, you really want me to go and talk to him? God was quick to say, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. In other words, yes, God showed up and he revealed himself to Paul in powerful ways, but it was only to show God's strength in the midst of Paul's weakness. Paul suffered a lot, as we hear about again in this passage. But his suffering and his hardship was all the way to kind of develop a deeper reservoir to take in the grace and mercy of God. In this passage, Paul speaks of one particular experience in in note. He says he was shown a vision or revelation, but he says that it happened 14 years ago. So even for Paul, we get a sense that these kinds of visions and revelations such as he had and he describes here didn't happen every day for him. And this is important. Because once people have had experiences of God where you know that you know that you know that God is real and God showed up in your life in healing or in revealing himself in a certain way or in power in some certain way, we always want to go back to those experiences, don't we? I mean, part of the reason why I show up at a camp for our kids or, you know, I help out at at Adventure Week is because God showed up in my life in those kinds of experiences in the past. And I hope he's going to do that again. 
And yet God doesn't always reveal himself in the big and the grandiose and in power. He doesn't reveal himself in some ways always to just overwhelm us with with his presence or power. Sometimes it's in the still small voice. And often he shows up in times where we're struggling. But in the midst of that struggle, he meets us and he empowers us and gives us new strength and energy to go on serving. Paul shares about this experience that he had had 14 years before because he knows that God showed up in power and that spiritual experiences like this can build up the church and can encourage other people. But Paul is not saying he has those types of experiences all the time. Paul has had a number of different experiences, though. He had this amazing conversion experience on the road to Damascus where the light shined down and Jesus spoke to him clearly. And often Paul referred back to his conversion, even though that was a different experience than what's referred to here. He also talks about the revelation that led him to go to Jerusalem and talk to the apostles and share about his experience of reaching out to to non-Jews, to Gentiles. And there, Paul had a vision or revelation to go and to advocate for the wider church. Saying essentially, guys, the church isn't just for those who are, are Jewish and for one nation, one, one people. God has broken through through Jesus and wants to reach the nations. And Paul had a vision and revelation to go and to advocate for that aspect of the church that we've benefited from as well. But all those experiences serve to advance the gospel. And Paul only wanted to share his experiences if he thought they would further or advance the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul never shared those experiences to shine light on himself. He always shared those experiences to point the way to God. He wanted to shine light on God. And so that's part of why Paul shares this experience the way he does. And the passage that Connor read, I mean, it's really unique. Paul says, I know a man who 14 years ago had this vision or revelation of God. And in that experience, he was brought up to the, the third heaven and he, he witnessed you know, the, kind of the fullness of God's presence in this way. And this man, da, 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 da. In other words, Paul doesn't say I. He doesn't say me. But as the passage continues, commentators are pretty clear to say Paul's talking about himself. But he's talking about himself in the third person. I'm sure you've had experiences like this. Uh, You know, one of my favorite athletes of all time is Ricky Henderson because I mean, he the guy played till he was 46, stole more bases than anybody. Um, But whenever you heard Ricky Henderson talk, he always talked in the third person. Ricky Henderson's fast. Ricky Henderson loves stealing bases. Ricky Henderson, he's going to the Hall of Fame. Ricky Henderson, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't do this or that. He never said I or me. He always talked about Ricky Henderson, but he's talking in the third person. And Paul does that in a way here, so he's not saying, I had this experience, or me. He's saying, God did this. God showed up in power. And I want you to know about it, because I want to deepen your understanding of faith and trust in the the one true God. Paul's sharing a, a really personal experience, and it almost seems like he hasn't shared about this story or experience with others. But now, he feels like it's the time to do so. What separates out this experience that strengthens him in the midst of his weakness and could strengthen the, the Corinthians? 
What stands out is that in Paul's conversion, Jesus came down and he revealed himself powerfully, right, on the road to Damascus. But in this experience, it's as if Jesus lifts up Paul and draws him up to have this amazing revelation of the one true God. But I'm going to say that it's only as Jesus revealed himself and came down in person and revealed himself in the vision that led to Paul's conversion that he's now able to lift Paul up to be able to see these amazing things. Paul says, I know a man who had this experience. But he's really saying, I know a God who came down, the person of his son Jesus, met me in my weakness, and even when I was persecuting the church, and lifted me up into a new and greater revelation and experience of Jesus. You know those kinds of experiences where people share, they they experience God in a powerful way can be super encouraging. One of those uh, stories that uh, was told both in book and in film was the experience of a child named Colton Burpo. And this is from the book, Heaven is for Real. Colton was the son of a pastor named Todd who served in the Midwest. And Colton ended up with a a rare illness and became so sick that that he uh, was actually uh, comatose. And and, and they, they thought that Colton was likely to die. But while Colton was out, he basically had this extreme vision of heaven. And once he he came, uh, Jesus worked in his life in a powerful way, literally kind of brought him back to life and encouraged these parents who were so worried about their child. When Colton shared about that experience with his mother and his dad, there were things that he shared about that could only come through a, a revelation and a vision that God gave him. Colton shared about particular relatives, like in their family line, that he encountered in heaven. And the way he shared, the particular details he shared, could only be true if he really had this experience. Colton actually saw his parents in different places in the hospital and where they were. He, he, he basically saw, was allowed to see his dad in the chapel just crying out to God for mercy and grace to save his son. God showed up in a powerful way in the life of this child. And in and through the book and the movie, you're encouraged in such a way that it's like, man, God showed up, and there's just no doubt about it. Those kinds of experiences strengthen us. They fill us. They motivate us to seek God ourselves, and they particularly encourage us when we feel weak and vulnerable and uncertain about where God is at and what he's doing in our life. But even when we have those experiences or we hear about them, we need to be, stay in touch with and always be close to our own weakness and vulnerability. Last week, uh, I referred to myself as a schmuck in the sermon. And, and I referred to myself as a schmuck because I'm quite capable of acting like a schmuck and being a schmuck on a regular basis. I mean, let's not forget the fact that one of our foundational theological principles is total depravity. We are broken. We are sinful. We're flawed at the core of where, who we are. We don't just need to be topped off by the grace of Jesus. Like we're 95% good and we just need a little help to have a spiritual veneer on the outside. We believe that we are broken at the very core of who we are. That we are all schmucks. Somebody emailed me and said, did something happen on vacation? Like, did you really blow it as a dad? I said, no, but I'm never far removed from my own weakness and vulnerability. And please know that your pastors are not perfect people. We fall short on a regular basis. We miss the mark. We're learning and growing as husbands and as dads, just as other people are. 
And we need the prevailing grace of God at the depths of who we are. That's what Paul's trying to say. That through those kinds of experiences, we can be encouraged and nourished spiritually. When we see Jesus show up in powerful ways, we want to share those experiences. But we also want to point the way to God in those experiences and not be it about us. Peter Scazzaro has been one of the most helpful writers in the spiritual life that I've read uh, over the last few years. And Scazzaro wrote a book called The Emotionally Healthy Church. And any of our elders or deacons that are trained are exposed to this book and, and an assessment related to it. One of the key spiritual principles that Scazzaro points out is that we are meant to live in brokenness and vulnerability. That when we live in that place of brokenness and need, when we are vulnerable enough to admit our flaws and our failings, it's there that the grace of God can kind of fill the cracks and the crevices. But if I act like I have it together, all together, and I'm not willing to live in that place of brokenness and vulnerability, acknowledge my weakness, that's spiritual pride. And that may puff you up for a short time, but it's ultimately going to lead to a fall, right? What Scazzaro says is, as we live in brokenness and vulnerability, we're able to experience the transforming nature of the grace of God. And this is particularly important in our relationships. Because when we're aware of our humility, when we're, and we're humble, when we're aware of our imperfection, what that does is cause us to get on our knees and ultimately seek God's empowerment. As a husband, as a dad, as a grandfather, aunt, uncle, aunt, co-worker, neighbor, friend. In all those spaces and places, we need to be able to acknowledge our weakness and our vulnerability and our need for God's grace and power if we're going to grow in relationship to him. Too often what we end up doing instead is this. We respond to our weakness and our vulnerability with three, in three ways. We either fight, 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 flee, or freeze. We might fight against this, this sense that I'm weak and vulnerable. and We might blame other people. Uh, my kids are good at this. <laughs> uh, we took a trip down to Sacramento last night, and, you know, they're fighting in the car on the way down. They're fighting in the car on the way back, and it's always, you know, Levi hit me. Josh hit me. Josh looked at me, Dad. And instead of, like, what part did you play, son? What could you have done differently while I'm holding on to the wheel and doing that Dad thing where you're breaking up the fight while you're driving with one hand? It's really, it's really safe. We don't want to acknowledge our own weakness, right? We don't want to acknowledge our part in it. And we fight against that. And we blame other people instead of saying, you know what, I blew it. Or instead of fighting, we might, we might flee. We might just say, we might leave. The, and, and instead of experiencing the growth and maturity that God wants when we're in the, the heat of the, the kitchen relationally and we, we, you know, there's a growth opportunity, often instead we flee that situation because we're uncomfortable with coming to terms with our weakness and our vulnerability. So instead of coming to terms with that and growing through it, we flee that situation or we flee that relationship. And often I think it's those relationships where then we, when we're honest about our weakness and our vulnerability that that's where the growth comes. One of the science experiments that the kids did this last week was sowing different seeds in, in soil and, and, and then putting water in it and taking it home and watching it, it, water, it grow. And I think of the experiences where we are aware of our weakness and our vulnerability, much like that planting and sowing of seeds in soil. But unless we keep the seeds there, 
We wrestle with the soil that we're in and the relationships and the neighborhoods and the co-workers and relationships we have. And unless we water it with the grace of God, it won't grow. We'll We'll remove ourselves from that growth opportunity. The third thing is sometimes we just freeze. Instead of engaging in that situation, we freeze and we kind of become immobilized or almost paralyzed spiritually. Instead of going and having the difficult conversation with somebody we need to have where brokenness was revealed in us and in them, we freeze instead. We're like, I'm going to make them make the first move. You know, they, did wor- they were worse in this situation than I was. And what I'm usually looking for, and my kids or whatever, who's willing to take the initiative and say, I'm sorry? Who's willing to step out and say, you know what, I blew it, and, and I just need to acknowledge this? Just because you do that doesn't mean you are totally at fault, okay? It's always a two-way street. But what you can do as a maturing follower of Jesus in the midst of your weakness is find the strength from God to go and have that difficult conversation and be the first person to say, you know what, I, I blew it. I made a mistake. I was weak. I was vulnerable. I fell short in this situation, And nine times out of ten, my experience in this is when you make the first move and when you acknowledge your weakness, that other person then feels safe to do it also. And to say, you know what, I I also screwed up. I could have done this better. But the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ as followers of Jesus is you acknowledging your weakness and finding God's strength to go and to have those conversations and to make the first move. You see, when we understand uh, our weakness and our vulnerability, here's what happens. We are made perfect. We are being matured in our weakness when we understand the nature and and purpose of our weaknesses. And here what happens is this. We understand that acknowledging our weaknesses can keep us from becoming conceited, and that's a good thing. So again, it's hard, but when you acknowledge your weakness and your vulnerability, that keeps you from spiritual pride. So Paul is saying this is part of the pathway to growing and maturing in Jesus. But also, we understand the nature and purpose of our weakness when we wrestle with thorns in the flesh that God doesn't immediately take away. And where we, because it's in those experiences that we experience God's sufficient grace and power. So let me just kind of walk through those three things. When we uh, understand, acknowledge our weakness and keeping us from spiritual pride, it's, it is opening up things. It's acknowledging that there's an area of weakness, a growth opportunity, we can say nicely. When you identify a growth opportunity, the next step is really recognizing that God may have given you that for a very specific reason. And for Paul, he had experienced what he calls a thorn in the flesh that God did not immediately relieve him from. And we're told that Paul prayed three times. And I, and I don't really think that it's just that he prayed three times, you know, like just counting it. I think he's basically saying, I prayed a lot about this. I prayed a number of times for God to change this situation. But for whatever reason, God didn't answer that prayer in the way Paul wanted. And as a result, what happened? Paul came to experience God's sufficient grace and power. In other words, it would have been nice, I'm sure, for Paul in his humanity to be relieved from that thorn in the flesh, and we'll talk about what that might have been. But what God is basically saying is, Paul, I'm about the bigger picture in your life. And I've allowed this weakness in your life so that you could become more dependent on my power and my strength and my grace. 
And if he didn't, Paul might become more focused on his own strength or ability. So what is this thorn in the flesh that he talks about? There are a lot of different ideas on this one. Uh, John Calvin thought it was like a, a spiritual um, you know, temptation, like Paul might be thinking about giving up his faith or throwing in the towel on ministry, that he was facing a spiritual temptation, much like Jesus faced in the desert when Satan came and questioned his identity and his calling as the Son of God. Even Jesus, even Paul, had their calling questioned. And maybe Paul was facing a, a type of spiritual temptation. Other people thought that maybe he was facing a, a, you know, a sinful temptation or you know, a fleshly temptation. Some people think in Romans 7, when Paul says, why do I do what I don't want to do, that he's talking about a struggle with sexual sin that he might have had. Other people think that Paul's talking about a thorn in the flesh in terms of uh, the persecution or opposition that he faced. And, you know, this could be the case because he's often talking about the challenges he's facing in, in 2 Corinthians. And there are people that were opposed to him. Others, again, think that there's various kinds of just temptations or challenges. But many commentators settle on the fact that Paul likely was experiencing some type of physical pain or limitation. Because the Greek word skolos here, or skolops here, um, I I can make a joke about scallops, but I'm not going to go there because... Beth once had scallops and she threw up and just bad experience. It was on a Valentine's Day, worst Valentine's date ever in history. But that's her story. You can ask her about it. And then she, when she comes in for second service, she's like, great. You know, she usually texts me like, what story did you tell first service that I'm going to walk into when I come in between services? Okay, that's a side note. Scolops is basically indicating some type of severe pain, some type of physical limitation. Some people think that Paul had poor eyesight. And where he talks in Galatians, he says, you know, see how I write in really big letters. That Paul may be writing in really big letters because he didn't see very well. And there are a lot of commentators that think that Paul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus in the flash of light, that though he was given his vision back, uh, that he never fully restored his sight. Possibly related to this, and something that I know many of you struggle with, some people think that Paul struggled with severe headaches, that he had migraines, and that they were of a type that, that took him out of commission. Um, I, I haven't struggled with this in, to a huge degree, but about three or four times in my life, I've had a migraine that just you know, completely knocked me out for a day. And I had to get in the dark place and, and seen the aura, all that stuff. So maybe that was it. There was also a type of fever that, that people experienced in the Mediterranean world and in that area around Paul was traveling. And maybe he had this type of, of illness that would resurface at different times. What's most likely is that Paul had an intermittent but recurring physical illness that impeded him at times um, from being able to serve Jesus with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. So much so that Paul said that this was a messenger of Satan. He's basically saying, this is really bad. And you, like, you wouldn't want this to happen. And, and he, could, he points to it being a, a messenger of Satan, something that Satan is using to disrupt him or torment him. And if you have an ongoing you know, illness, I mean, I, man, I have friends that have like fibromyalgia. Or I, you know, uh, I remember my friend Greg, who was here for several years, you know, had Lyme's disease. And this is something that just people cannot shake. 
I mean, it's just, you know, it's almost like if you had something more significant but then went away, it would be better, (laughs) you know, but you've got this physical illness that just resurfaces and just wears you down. Know that you are likely not alone, that likely Paul struggled with something similar, and likely that Paul prayed that God would take it away, and for whatever reason, God chose not to. But what we can say is that Paul could also see that experience in light of the bigger overall purposes of God. And he said, yeah, it's a a messenger of Satan, but he's also saying, God knows about this, and God has allowed this, and God has allowed this experience in my life as part of the bigger picture of what he's wanting to accomplish in my life. And guess what? That struggle or difficulty, perhaps that temptation you've struggled with, but more likely that physical challenge that you face can be the very avenue through which you more regularly cry out to God for grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And if that's where you're at, just know you're in a really good place. And while I don't know why God would allow that physical struggle, that point of weakness for you exactly, I know that in general, God wants to work through that redemptively. God wants to use that experience to shape you and to to mold you. Beth and I led a parenting class on Thursday night as part of Adventure Week, and we'll hear a little bit about Adventure Week here in a few moments. But, you know, we just, it was a smaller group, about six parents. But, you know, we were sharing about our kids and our parenting, and, and so it, it lent itself to an opportunity for Beth and I to share a parenting story and to share about our daughter Kylie and her disabilities and her passing away in 2004. And, and, it, and it led to a point of witness share this was really hard parenting a child with disabilities was really hard and 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 experiencing her death was agonizing but we also knew the grace mercy and empowerment of God that he led us through that experience and he gives us grace and mercy every day to parent these two crazy boys we have now and God for whatever reason allows experiences in our life to lead us into places of weakness, not just to stay there or to wallow in it, but lead us to a place where we cry out to God for his empowerment and his help, and we're transformed as a result. So I want to say to you that if you're facing a physical pain or weakness or weariness, God's grace and mercy and power is sufficient for you. That God's grace, mercy, and power is sufficient for experience of spiritual pain, grief, or loss. My own life is testimony of that. God's grace, mercy, and empowerment is sufficient when you're facing some type of opposition. God's grace, mercy, and empowerment is sufficient because he makes you able, as this letter shows, to, to face various difficulties and challenges and to learn the lessons that God wants you to learn, that you are weak and vulnerable in and of yourself, and you are totally dependent on the grace, mercy, and forgiveness of God. That Paul was in that position, but in his weakness, he found strength. And friends, we are made perfect in weakness when we boast all the more gladly in our weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on us. We need to be in those spaces and places where we acknowledge our weakness so we rest in, we experience more deeply the power of God. And we can even delight along with Paul in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties because it's in those experiences that we come to the end of ourselves and we more fully avail ourselves to the grace and mercy of God. You see, we can recognize that we are nothing when it comes to experiencing the calling of God. 
God didn't call you to salvation because there was something good in you. God didn't call you to serve in whatever ministry you're part of because there was something in you. God called you because he is faithful. And he, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has the power to to lead you, to empower you, to care for you, and to walk with you through whatever you're going through. Remember, as the passage concludes, God doesn't want your possessions. He wants you. He wants a relationship with you, and he wants to just be with you. And that we are to pass on whatever we have learned, like a parent to a child. I like this uh, passage in some ways towards the end, but it's got an interesting twist. But this whole idea of, you know, children aren't supposed to support their parents. Parents are meant to financially support their children. I'm like, when are these boys going to grow up and they can start carrying us? You know, I'm like, I don't know about that, Paul. But what he's pointing out is like a parent, we need to be investing in our children. We need to be investing in the next generation like we did uh, this last week at Adventure Week, as Greg going to share, and as our friend Zach's going to share, that Christian Encounter does, we need to be using the resources and some of our spiritual experiences we've had and in our weakness and experiencing God's strength are the greatest things we have to share. And finally, we are called ultimately to expend ourselves in love even when people don't always receive us because when we recognize our weakness but we continue loving and going on loving, it's then that we most fully experience the strength and the presence and the peace of God. Church, a church is made alive when we, when we are made perfect in weakness. It is not made alive just in our own strength or human ability. So may we always be in touch with our own weakness and strength in order to experience God's strength. Amen? Amen. Amen.